And welcome. Hey, welcome to our podcast. To a new episode of the Plants of Your Pets podcast. This is what we're doing. You're a bit sleepy. <laughs> yes. Actually, I'm, I'm not too sleepy for having a very young baby at home. I'm Guys, you already made a baby. We I, didn't actually mention that yet. Yeah, I think it, we dropped it on a... like. We mentioned it like a, as a drive-by, but not really. We've been subtly hinting on the blog by like I keep on making articles about like pollination and like fatherless <laughs> plants and stuff like this. So like the theme has been on our minds clearly. Do you want to imply something about the fatherhood? <laughs> I'm, I'm implying nothing. It's just it's like a theme at the moment. <laughs> yeah, but this also explains why we got a little bit slower because um, obviously I'm really occupied with keeping a little baby alive, but it's going fine, and. Um, today we want to try something a little bit different, right? We want to mix up our format a little bit. Yeah, we did an Instagram poll and we found out that people would prefer to have a slightly shorter podcast. So just doing one um, journal every week instead of doing like the longer, like one hour long podcast every two weeks. So we're going to try that and then you guys can let us know, give us some feedback and say if that's working or not. So today it's Yoram's turn to present a paper. Yes, and dun, my dun, paper dun. Um, today... The one that I want to present is called um, "The Presentation Is Starting." <laughs> oh, my, I'm my getting notes like weird vibrations in my earphones. It could be from the from the fridge, but I don't think they're on the recording. We're in my kitchen this time, guys. It's very exciting. Yeah. All right, let's go. Um, my uh, the title of my paper is "The Role of Apetala One in Petal Number Robustness." Um, it's by Marie Monod, many other people, and the last author is Angela Hay. Um, it's from the University of Oxford in UK and the Max Planck Institute for Plant Breeding Research. Um, and this uh, paper um, talks about flowers. And um, my introduction here is like flowers in, in general um, have many different qualities to them. Um, they're like pretty. Yeah, the, the, the prettiness is one, uh, the likelihood to buy them if you want to uh, ask for, for uh, it's forgiveness. It's not what they're aiming for. Oh, no, God. It's colors. Oh, we're not that kind of podcast, Yoram. <laughs> I didn't say what, Carry on. who to whom. Uh, <laughs> it's, um, yeah, they have colors, scents, shapes, and all they, they have all of that to attract specific pollinators and to allow them to recognize their preferred plant species. So if uh, a bug likes yellow flowers with five petals, they can go back to the same kind of flower and the flower can uh, adapt its own behavior in opening and closing the flowers according to when the bug is around. Mm. So this is sort of the relationship that, w that works there. So in general, it's a good idea for plants to be recognizable and have a reliable appearance. And this idea becomes important now because there's some uh, plants that don't follow that idea so much. Um, the, the, the petal number in general, so the number of, of petals on a, on a flower, so the little flower leaves. Um, in, German it's, <laughs> in German, it's pretty much that. It's Blütenblätter. It's flower leaves. I thought leaves. you were just like really dumbing down the content. Guys, I don't there know. are flower leaves. It's like a leaf, but on a flower. And they're colorful and nice. And... Um, and <clears throat> Yeah, I, I just wasn't sure how common the word uh, petal is. Blumenblätter. Blütenblätter. 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 German also is, just is very modular as a language. The Blütenblätter number. Um, the Blütenblätter number. The petal number, it's a quite a conserved and robust trait in most plants. So if you look at our favorite plant, Arabidopsis, it's 
it has four petals and it always has four petals if you grow a thousand arabidopsis chances are that most of them will have four petals um, so even different ecotypes uh, of arabidopsis have the same petal number um, so in general it's a very conserved and robust trait until uh, can i point out that arabidopsis is mainly like self-pollinating though yeah but other plants I see a flaw. <laughs> other plants as well um, that rely on pollination. yeah sure sure it's a set thing um, but our, our favorite lab plant, uh, lab rat, has a, a weird cousin. It's called Caramin uh, um, hirsuta in Latin. Und, and, in, um, <laughs> und. and in English, uh, it is a Harry Bittercress. And because it sounds like a Harry Potter character, uh, Harry Bittercress will now be the um, name for this plant for this segment. Um, Harry Bittercress and the... I don't know, secret petal number or the... <laughs> yeah. uh, we can think, we can work on this. We can workshop. Send us your best, uh, your <laughs> best plant-based Harry Potter titles uh, with Harry Bittercris and... Mm. So Harry has between zero and four petals. And um, so this trait is not at all robust in this plant. Um, so in the paper um, that we're linking, you can actually see the, the different um, flowers um, and they do have sometimes zero and sometimes four petals and everything in between. Um, and when the in this paper they looked at the developmental phase, how they, the, these petals are formed, and there are the so-called pre, uh, petal primordia. So these are like little tiny bits during flower development that have sort of the specialized stem cells that will turn into petals later mm -hmm. on. And uh, in Harry Brit uh, in Harry Bittercress, these are just not present. Um, or not always present, depending on how many petals they form. And we have now. Yeah, there's a loud noise. I hope it's not on a recording, and if it is, I'm, I'm terribly sorry. Sometimes you can't really control it. Um, which brings me to the point, what controls petal number? <laughs> Well segued. Yeah, they, they didn't segway. notice. They, they didn't notice at all. <laughs> because um, Harry and Arabidopsis, they are really closely related. So when the researchers looked at the QTLs, the quantitative trait loci, uh, which is a statistical mapping approach where you look at sort of the areas on a chromosome that are responsible for a certain trait, like petal number. Yeah, so instead of looking at like a whole, just one gene, you look at like kind of a chunk of the chromosome, like a, a bit. Yeah, it's when you don't know the genes, then you just say like, it's this Somewhere bit in that region over there on chromosome five, like a little bit up, like... Yeah, yeah. a bit to the left and then, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, um, Arabidopsis and Harry both have these loci. So both of them have uh, very similar regions that are responsible for petal number. And still one of them has um, yeah, a very robust number and the other one doesn't. So um, this brought the researchers to the question, how, how can that be? How can they be genetically so very similar with such a big difference? And uh, so they thought it's the end of the story. Uh, and, they, yeah, and then they published that and they were like, you know what, we don't know. <laughs> done and i'm done and i'm this is this was the podcast thank you, you for listening it. yeah um see you next week bedtime no. there's one protein however and because Ooh. i tried really hard to make it a harry potter reference i called it the elder protein because it, the, he has like what uh, elder wang gross yeah it's just all gross <laughs> so there's one protein um that seems to regulate this whole mess um it's called ap1 apitala1 and this is a protein that's found again both in uh, Harry and in Arabidopsis. 
however they diverge, they are slightly different from each other and they seem to have changed their function. What I found weird in this paper, this is a paper when I was reading it, it was a little bit annoying because it uh, kept using a lot of big words that I had to look up and I felt really stupid, although I find my English quite adequate. <laughs> I struggled a lot in understanding these sentences. And at one point in this paper, when they come up with the AP1 protein, they just say, it's predicted by the ABC model. And then they go on. This is the flowering model there, right? Yes. Yes. Do you know what the ABC model is? Then I don't have to explain it. I think you should explain it anyway. Um, we, it's like biology 101. You learn kind of like these different combinations of genes in different positions to make like what type of uh, tissue you have in the flower. So if you have like a, a petal or a sepal or something like this. Yeah. And the idea is instead of having one gene for each type of cell that you want to differentiate into, um, combinations of genes uh, pretty much define the, the specialization later on. And so in this ABC model, you have the proteins uh, A, B, and C, and B is sort of stacked on top of A and C. And so if you just have the expression of gene A, then you get sepals. If you have A and B together, you get petals. If you get C and B together, you have stamens. And if you just have C, you get carpels. And this is- Yoram's gonna put a picture of that online. Um, yeah, or yeah, I think I can use that picture. If not, I will link to one picture that I was not allowed to use. Um, yeah, and when you Google it, don't confuse it with Einstein's ABC model. Apparently, he also had one, and I had to like <laughs> work through it. It's something about cognitive behavior, I but I didn't like, go into this. Contact the the German education system for. Wait, you didn't do botany though. You're an engineer by training. I'm like, an engineer. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's I a never botany. had to learn this. That's fair. So, uh, so I had to. I learned this now out of my own will, out of my own good. Behavior. I mean, I did like a general biochemistry, like background undergraduate degree, and we only learned about cancer. Like the amount of information about plants was just nothing. They're like, eh, it's not important. Human disease is all you need to know about. Like, here's how you can solve like I can tell you cancer. something about propellers and fermenters if you care about that. It sounds more interesting still. The propellers or the bot botany? The propellers also than the botany. I mean, like botany also, I, I never did botany, but uh, like the people who did botany, it's a lot of like learning like systematic learning of, of different names and like in australia pretty much when you go out into the bush everything just looks like a stick in the sand if you're not in like the right flowering period there's just like thousands of like spin effect species and they're all just like one like grass blade <laughs> sticking out from the dust and then you have to learn that oh that grass blade it's like curling in this way or it's like winking at me or something and therefore it's like species xyz but yeah. I'm useless at this. I, I can look at like an Arabidopsis and a tobacco and be like not confident that I can I can visually identify like I have face blindness for the plants. So Yeah, if you give me seedlings of both species, yeah, I will like, probably be like eh. Did I plant Arabidopsis though this time? Let's wait and see. Don't let my boss hear this shit, okay guys? <laughs> Alrighty, anyway, sorry. Um yeah, so Harry Potter. The the ABC model predicted that AP1 will there. It's an ancient prophecy. It's another reference. Oh god. <laughs> In the Ministry of Biology, they had to break into that to find the ancient prophecy. I apologize to our listeners at this stage. No, they found so they found this one protein in two spe species, and then they started what all biochemists do when they work with proteins and genes. They exchange them, and they see if the, if knockouts can be complemented and go the other wait, way wait, around. So the gene of interest is this Apatala one, and now they're trying to see how the the Harry Potter, whatever that was called, Apatala one, is different from the Arabidopsis by putting the hairy one in the Arabidopsis and the Arabidopsis one in the the hairy. Yep. Okay. Yeah. And what cross complementation. And what they could see is that if they would just add the Arabidopsis um, gene to a knockout of AP1 in Harry, then Harry would suddenly have robustly four petals. 
and if they would do it the other way around in an AP1 knockout, um, the um, Harry AP1 could not complement the the phenotype. Um, so, what if you have like a wild type? So it's like an Arabidopsis that already has its own Apatala, and then you put the hairy one on top. Is it dominant or is it recessive? Uh, I think um, I don't remember if they, if they did that. Um, but I think the the presence of the Arabidopsis AP1 was always enough to to um, put things in order. Yeah, to put things in order and make it robust. Mm. And um, then the next question always is: Is it the functional, like the the divergence in the gene? Is it the functional part of the gene or is it the regulatory part of the gene? So is the AP1 protein itself different, or is it just made at different times when it's and expressed or where it's expressed? And um, for that, they exchanged some of the promoters and, and followed that and they figured out that it is differential expre differentially expressed in Harry. So it has uh, at specific time points during development, it has lower expression rates than in Arabidopsis. And it's also um, uh, not restricted to just this one uh, primordia, these primordia that were sometimes present and sometimes not present. So it's uh, in several other um, areas of these um, stem cell, this developing flower head, um, while the Arabidopsis one is quite conserved to just one location where it uh, then acts and uh, triggers the petal development. And um, then when they looked at the, yeah, so it, it was a regulatory effect. And so they concluded um, that the there are some effects of these QTLs, of these areas of the genes that uh, randomly affect petal number and the Arabidopsis AP1 is able to mask this so it sort of goes over mm -hmm. it and glances over it and, and says uh, it doesn't matter what happens below that we're doing four petals while the Harry AP1 is not able to do that okay um, and when they they further confirmed that by studying like a large um, population in the lab of uh, of this Harry plant um, and looked at how uh, the AP1 diverged there and correlated that with the petal number and so so that whenever the the AP1 um, regulation diverged, so was different from another, they're also the petal number averages changed. So mm -hmm. sometimes they would rather have two on average or three on average. Um, so all of that points... But this is like plant by plant or flower by flower on one plant? Um, is that a stupid question? No, no, I think it's a good question. I just don't remember how it was. So in general, they looked at, they always summarized this, so I find it quite hard to say if it's per plant or per flower. Guys, we'll link the paper in the show notes. Like, <laughs> read it in your own time. Um, but th then that brought them to a model, yeah. which um, I find quite nice here. So um, this model is based on a different model that they mentioned in the paper, but they adapted uh, to this trait here. So um, I try to describe what you're seeing here. So they show that the... Um, there's a... On the first part, there is a simple expression profile that's... Um, Exponential growth. Exponential growth with a stationary phase in the end. So it looks like an, um, is it an S? Yeah, S. it looks like an S. And um, the Arabidopsis AP1, uh, so it's the, the expression level against the petal number and the uh, Arabidopsis AP1 is very highly expressed and that results in four petals. And the, the Harry AP1 is lower, lowly expressed and this is just in the area where the petal number is not, not robust. Mm -hmm. And... Um, the idea how this works is that you have uh, all these like random things that try to pull the petal number into one or the other direction. So these are the QTL, these might be random events, this might be outside like the environment. All of these influences somehow uh, define how many petal numbers exist. And the AP1 um, pulls the 
um, the Arabidopsis epi one pulls this decision tree sort of always in a direction of four. And uh, the Harry so it's AP like a limiting, it's, it's making a boundary on all of the like n-dimensional possibilities of making pedals. It's like, this is it. Like, in the paper, they always say canalizing and they have this image here where you have a ball that goes down a plane and you have um, blue lines. It's a sort of the random effects of the, genet the, the, the QTL of the different genes and the environment. And they try to pull the sort of the, the valley that forms um, to the left or to the right. And then you have um, a very strong orange line in the middle. That's the AP1 that pulls, that always shapes a canal. And when you break that orange line, the canal can't be formed. And then you have like the other influences that make its way to one side or the other. So uh, we'll link to that figure um, I, in the show notes. That did not make it clearer for me, but I am, I'm the least spatial person that you can imagine. <laughs> I, I'm just, I'm staring at this, this image. Guys, go and stare at it for five minutes and tell me what you think. I think, like, I can't find my way on, on maps or anything, so maybe that's my problem, but... I also had to look at it for a while, um, because the, the layout of it is not very conclusive, and there's a whole part where I don't get why they, they show it. There are scissors involved somewhere, the scissors are, like, snipping the APO line that canalizes, but... So you have to imagine, you have a, you have a plane box... No, I box don't want to. And you have, you have um, a rubber membrane that you uh, span across the box. No, okay, I think I think I can. Maybe we can discuss this in my own time. Yes, <laughs> have, a, have a look at the image. But the idea is that yeah, this, this one AP one, it's 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 a strong driving force to decide which how many petals uh, are there, and it has to be highly expressed to decide that. And um, so to sum this up, there's one single protein that canalizes all of these different things that try to influence the petal number into one robust petal number. Um, and what's coming next is what are actually the genes behind these regions on the chromosomes that interact with AP1 and how does that work? How can one single protein do that and work with yeah, different other QTLs, different other genes um, to, yeah, to influence the petal number? So this is something where they said, yeah, this is for further studies. So they have their research field mapped out for them. But I found it quite interesting to really see how one single protein can have such a um, visible effect on the on the petal number yeah. does it make me an asshole that i want to like say yoram please define the dictionary like what what canalization means canalization Webster's dictionary defines canalization <laughs> it's the act of digging a canal <laughs> from <laughs> oh, the yeah. pacific ocean to <laughs> the gulf of what i uh, um yeah panama canal that's mm. canalization so that was my paper um it was it was a short story but a nice one cool so, um, Tegan, you know what time it is? I forgot we had this music. <laughs> Always comes as a surprise. It's been to a, a while since we did a podcast. <laughs> My favorite plant. What is your favorite plant? Shit, Tegan? I didn't think it was this part. I thought it was the fun facts part. I am, I'm very not. Yeah, okay, so my favorite plant this time is a shout out to my friend Kiara because every time I ask her for an interesting plant, she gives me the same plant. Uh, I am going to play the stereotype card and point out that she's Italian. Can you guess what the plant is? Tomato? No. Actually, she's working on tomato, so this is like a big thing, but it's Olio Europa. Uh, olive olive tree? trees yeah um so yeah it's olive trees what i thought was surprising <laughs> was the fact that um the family of the plants also includes things like lilacs and jasmines which mm -hmm. seem and like ash trees these all seem quite different to me and the reason i wanted to mention the olives is just because of this huge olive crisis which is going on oh i didn't know 
Okay, so it's quite a big thing in um, the south of Europe. There've been just these deaths of olive trees, and what's Ooh. really devastating is that olive trees are growing for hundreds of years. So they they have to grow for a long time before they reach maturity and produce fruits. And the ones that are in the south of Europe, they're just really ancient trees, and they have value beyond just their production, right? Um, but about five years ago or so, people started to notice that the olive trees were dying, and they kind of like shrivel up and become like dried, twisted. And it was really clear that they weren't just like dying randomly, they had a disease. And it turns out that it's a bacteria, it's a Xylella fastidiosa. And it's like transferred from tree to tree by like things like insects or just things visiting the tree. Um, and because of this, the basically the EU had a discussion that they have to put like a barrier zone basically make like a dead zone um and a okay. boundary where they have to destroy the trees to stop the disease from um spreading and it's a big um problem in Puglia so in the south of Italy but it's like the the heel of the boot of Italy so the idea is that if you put a um a barrier zone high enough up the heel you stop it from getting into the rest of Italy and stop it from getting into the rest of yeah like I mean obviously Spain and Greece are often are also major um producers of olive oil so the problem is that there's been a lot of kind of backlash against like the idea of you have to destroy these trees to save these trees so there's conservationists and there's also like the farmers like people don't want to destroy the trees and there's also been like other like maybe financial issues and stuff that has kind of stopped the the effort to um prevent mm -hmm. the spread like to make this buffer zone so i think at the end of last year they were discussing the fact that the previously defined buffer zone is now an infected zone um so the barrier has to be moved up so it's it's just a really sounds like a wildfire when you try to cut down forests to, to it's exactly like that it's like to stop the spread you have to like be willing to sacrifice all of these really beautiful trees but it's it's quite devastating and i don't think that i don't think there's a solution apart from basically destroying the the trees at least up until now i couldn't see anything um, and as I said, it's become like a, a European issue um, because, and also the countries that it will affect are these countries which are already having like economic um, problems and it's like the whole Mediterranean region. So that's why olive trees get a shout out today. Yeah, support your local olive tree. Give them, I don't know, what can you do to support them? I think, don't, like, don't visit them. Yeah, don't give them don't, a hug. Don't, don't spread take your insects bacteria. there and then take those insects to other trees. Um, yeah. Yeah, so um, Stay clear of all people have suggested trying to develop like resistant trees, but this is also like a the current trees are very old. This is not a solution for the, the now situation. So the f solution for now is like burn and hope that it doesn't spread, which is super horrible. Like yeah, yeah. yeah. and we have some similar stuffs in in Australia. So we have like Phytophthora. This is a very common um, like fungal disease, and it spreads throughout Jarrah forests and. It's like these things where they don't really know how to control it, except for to stop like the spread yeah, of it can yeah. um, happening. So, yeah, uh, super devastating. Yeah. Now to some fun stuff, Stephen. <laughs> Thank you for bringing that up. Okay, I have a fun one from um, Retraction Watch. Ah, these are always fun. <laughs> which is actually we're playing. I don't know if you guys know, but Retraction Watch has a kind of a game that you can play where you can choose what's wrong they give you a figure from a paper and they have a multiple choice like what's wrong with this figure so it's like oh like lane one was copied or they've clearly like manipulated this figure or like all of the above and stuff like that so i was playing that a few weeks ago that was quite i mean it was nerdy fun but it was fun guys <laughs> 
Um, the current thing is retracted, right, researchers retract a paper because it turns out not to be bullshit. And what? <laughs> okay. I think somebody's like had a discussion over lunch and be like, oh yeah, that's bullshit. But what if it wasn't bullshit? And they've like actively searched for this paper, but it was basically just a paper discussing a fertilization method. And one of the fertilization involved using cow manure. Uh-huh. Um, and then the paper had to be retracted because they, they realized that the data they submitted as the results for the cow manure was actually data from, I think, straw-based um, fertilization. Mm-hmm. So it, it's char is what the, the fertilizer um, is called, but they they submitted the wrong um, info. So it was actually straw, not bullshit. And therefore the paper was retracted because it's not bullshit. But I am imagining whoever wrote this paper, um, this uh, article, had quite a fun day when they when they found this yeah okay what about you what do you got um my favorite um uh, not my favorite part my fun stuff t- today um is uh an app that has the worst name but it's actually really cool it's called pl at sign or plantnet, um but with an at sign instead of the a which I find, I don't know, I think the last time you were allowed to do that was like 1998. Planet. Plantnet. Plantnet. Um, and it's a really cool app. Um, this app allows you to take a picture of a plant and then it will it is matched against the database to identify it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also has a strong community aspect to it. So not only is it, um, not only does the algorithm give you um, a rate, a, a score, if that might be the, the, the plant that you're looking for. But also it is then submitted to a community and the community can confirm or deny your identification that you did. That mm-hmm. gives you sort of a second level of, of secu- uh, security of, of um, certainty that you identified the right thing. Um, and I used it, I played around uh, in my neighborhood with it. And uh, I'm really, as we touched before, like I have no training in biology or botany apart I'm from like some today. molecular biology. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I can't really tell plants apart. So for me, it's a lot of fun to go around and actually find names for things that grow around me. Especially now that I'm walking a little boy um, through parks, there's ex- actually many exciting plants. And <laughs> yeah, I could just say like it's it's a plant. And now I can. And this one is free to use. At the yeah, moment? it's yeah. free to use. Um, because I've seen similar things where they were free to use to start with, and then they started having a subscription fee. And I saw people get like really angry because it's a lot of user effort to like start the identification process and those people who would like they had identified hundreds of plants and then they were starting to get charged like x euros per month so yeah i saw the bad side but this seems like a good yeah i think it's really uh, it really works on the idea of of crowd intelligence and helping you t- with the identification and um yeah it has guidelines how to take good pictures so that uh, they can actually be identified so it doesn't work to just like snap any picture you have to make sure for example that the leaf is uh, well um, discernible and then you and then you also mark the picture as this is a leaf picture this is a flower picture and that helps the algorithm mm-hmm. to properly match it and if you yeah, take multiple pictures if you have a flowering plant and you submit like the picture of the whole plant the flowers and the leaves chances are good that you actually find the species that you're looking for and it also works across the world which is also a big thing often of these these apps are pretty localized mm. so like just us flora or do they European have like flora. they should gamify it where like 
depending on how many different plant species you find you get like points and then like like pokemon you get like the rare you find the rare plantathon plantamon pokemon something there's definitely some stats and um a rank so i'm rank thirteen thousand three hundred and eight. Out poor, of one million and ninety-five thousand eight hundred something people. But is it based on usage or like? It's based on how many observations I do, um, how many different species I find, and and so on. Unfortunately, okay. I can't really take part in the confirmation because I have no idea. So there's like there's this stream. Does and you it can just penalize like you if you like like could you? I mean that's an nasturtium. He's he's showing me an nasturtium, guys. But could you call it is a it? carrot and get punished? No. Ask them if it has orange or yellow flowers. It's Can just, you? it's called here a Tropaleo Maios. Oh my god, am I wrong? It's my mom is going to be so angry at me if I'm wrong. Kresse in German. Like the app all works in, in German and English and other languages, so whatever like you're most comfortable with for the... Garden Nasturtium! Wikipedia has shown... What is it? Yeah. Is it the right thing? It's Nasturtium, but I mean, I don't, I don't know that... Um, I can the confirm real this and then name. I get points for this. Yes. Okay, we're now using Google to do things yeah is that okay <laughs> i'm just so if you want to if you want to play around with this identify plants in your garden in your parks or wherever plant net plant Pla- net plat plant net yeah plant net plant net it's yeah as plant I said, net. worst name best app but plant net is kind of <laughs> okay i have one final like kind of fun fact is that okay have I, you got, I shall allow it. Have you got another one? Because I have another one. Mine is about cats, so I feel like we should finish on cats. But like, maybe yeah, let's finish on also cats. About I cats. have another one that I might use a different day because there will be more episodes in the future. <laughs> okay, um, my one is about cats, and I've now lost the page because I removed it. <laughs> uh, no, so this is something that was published recently um, in Applied Animal Behavioral Science. I think it came up on my Google Now feed because I have trained it to show me images and um, news articles about cats um, because that's what Google Now is for. Uh, and it's called The Use of Animal-Born Cameras to Video Track the Behavior of Domestic Cats. It's by Marin Hook and and Samantha Watson. And anyway, it's basically this, this idea of putting mini cameras onto cats to see what they do with their time. Um, my favorite Let me th- guess, they're just sleeping all day. <laughs> yeah, my, my favorite thing is that when they broke down the um, like different like time periods, pie charted it out, 35% of the time, like one third of the time was resting, which is fine. And there's also like walking, exploring, running is like 2% of the time, grooming, um, eating, and then other. But apart from resting, two of the other categories are lying, which is another like 10%, and sleeping, which is another 10% again. So it's like, first I'm resting, but now I've finished resting, I'm going to do some lying. Okay, now I've finished lying, I'm going to sleep for a bit because the lying really exhausted me. Like, this just makes me very, very happy. And I would love to have this stuff put on my cat to see what it's doing with this time. I'm, I'm, I'm really conflicted because on one hand, Research for cats is something I would always support. At the same time, I think it comes at no surprise <laughs> that, that they're lying and sleeping I mean, and resting most of the day. <laughs> what's missing for me is that there's no selfie cam, so I want to also have like plotting or like looking sinister as part of like the descriptive like haughty behavior or like eyeing off your like bookcase or judging fighting. you yeah. from across the room. <laughs> exactly. Like I want like the facial expressions and then like an algorithm which like tells me your cat is doing this while it's like punching you it's probably angry like this kind of like learning on cats yeah yeah that's the future that's guys. definitely missing in this study yes 
<laughs> anyway, I think that's it. I think we can end on cats. That's okay, right? I We're have sorry. no way to segue from this apart from saying thank you for listening to this We're episode. We're sorry if you like dogs. This is not a podcast for dog likers. No. No. no, go to Baby Geniuses. They talk a lot about dogs, and I got really bored by this. So go Actually, there. Actually, Yarm is for strangely is wearing a, sh- a shirt which has a dog on it right yeah. now. I'm taking a photo for the Instagram. Yes. Yeah, it's bizarre. Right? I, it's, it's, uh, yeah. it's it's just a very like wiener dog shaped cat. Yeah. In fairness, I was wearing cat earrings until I had to take them off for the the headphones. So we <laughs> so kind of balancing. Out. Um, yeah. Okay. This is enough about cats. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Plants, plants, plants. We also love plants. We hope you love plants. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So follow us on Twitter. We're at plants pipettes. Yeah. Pl- at plants pipettes on Twitter. On Facebook and Instagram, we're at plants and pipettes. And if you like our podcast, review us on iTunes. Um, If you give us anything less but five stars, we will stop this podcast immediately. Luckily, the two people who did that so far gave us five stars. And and we even got a very nice long written um, review already a while ago. And we really would like to uh, say thanks a lot to Hannah. so yeah if you want to um you help can also us. yeah tell us what we're doing wrong still give us five stars but then like give us some criticism of what yes, we can improve on criticism <laughs> of saying like five stars because they listen to our, our criticism <laughs> but if it's anything about like cutting the amount of cats out we're not doing that for you that's that's not no. going to happen yes so please review us it helps us a lot um being found um through the uh obscure itunes algorithm and uh, our opening and closing mu- music is caravana by philip gross and then see you next week already because we're trying this out of having multiple like shorter episodes more often so next week <laughs> bis nächste mal goodbye bye Hey guys, next week on the podcast, I am talking about a paper that came out recently, which looks at engineering PPR proteins to use them as an inducible switch to activate the expression of chloroplast transgenes. This is a paper that came out in Nature Plants in May. See you then.